hope you're doing well on this Sunday morning. And if you are visiting today, I know we greeted you already, but I wanted to just uh, also welcome you if this is your first time here at Grace. Uh, there is a QR code that should be in one of the pockets in front of you in your seat. And you can use your smartphone and, uh, and send us some information with that QR code. And we can then follow up with you and answer any questions that you may have about our, our ministry here, here at Grace. This morning, uh, we're going to continue on in our study of the book of Philippians. And I begin today with a question. This question is this, have you ever experienced in your life a sense of overwhelming panic? If you have read any articles or familiar with some of the uh, hot topics, if you will, that are around Christianity and our culture, we know that much today is being written on the topics of worry, anxiety, panic attacks, in this sense of people often feeling overwhelmed by life. Now, we studied this a little bit last week, but we have to understand that this is a far more complex, I guess, conversation in many ways than we can handle in just a couple of sermons. But Scripture very much speaks to these issues of worry, anxiety, panic attacks, and this overwhelming sense of despair that sometimes comes over us. As I've been studying this issue over the last you know, three or four weeks or so, looking at this, preparing for this morning, I say this very carefully, and I say this humbly, but for me, worry and anxiety and panic is not really something I experience. But for many, many, many people, this is a very real struggle. It's a day-to-day -day battle with worry, anxiety, panic, having these, this sense of being overwhelmed. I read an article this week by a young lady by the name of Jamie Patrick. And in her article, I want to read to you just a little bit about her account and her own struggle with worry and anxiety. She says this, she said, the article, by the way, is called Living with Anxiety. She said this, she said, I've always been afraid. As a child, I had all kinds of fears. I had a fear of not fitting in, a fear of not being liked, a fear of heights, I understand that one, a fear of roller coasters, and a fear of being sucked into an undertow and whisked out to sea. She went on and she said this, she said, I've always known that God is in control. That he sees me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in his book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. A reference, by the way, to Psalm 139. She goes on and she says, I knew it, but I still lived in fear. As an adult, she writes, my fear grew into full-blown anxiety. She said, I will never forget my first panic attack. I was 21. 
riding in the car with my now husband, and all of a sudden I felt lightheaded. My heart raced. I couldn't breathe, and I felt impending doom coming over me. She said, there was no specific reason for it, nothing that I can pinpoint as the cause. I almost asked my husband or my boyfriend at the time to take me to the hospital, but then as quickly as the attack hit, it was gone. In a February 11th article, 2020, this year, found in Christianity Today, Brad M. Griffin notes this. He said, 70% of teenagers in a recent study considered anxiety and depression to be a major problem among their generation. Interestingly enough, if you want to read that article, the title is Billie Eilish can help us understand teenage anxiety. Christianity Today, February 11th. In Corey Cutler's article entitled, Why Are Our Children So Anxious? We find these words. She said this. She said, experts believe the rising number of children and adolescents dealing with anxiety is the result of several cultural, biological, and familial factors. The emphasis placed on succeeding academically along with the demands of the college application process can feel daunting. So can the reality of expensive university tuition. She goes on and she says, kids today are also coming of age in a time when they've never known life apart from smartphones, social media, terrorism, and global conflict. They feel pressure to create and manage a digital identity, and they have endless information at their technological fingertips, which has the the potential to emotionally overwhelm them. I love this. She said, they're in a cauldron of stimulus. They can't get away from it, or don't want to get away from it, or don't know how to get away from it. In a Time Magazine article on depression and anxiety in the American adolescence echoes the same ideas. Why is panic and anxiety and, and worry such a dynamic in our culture today? Well, anxiety has a way of encapsulating not just children, but adults as well. Into this endless loop of worry and anxiety that they just can't escape. And it can become devastating. It can actually become life-dominating. I think we all have a tendency, to some degree or another, to become anxious or worried over certain issues of life, I suppose. But God knows that we're prone to worry. And so God speaks directly to the issue of anxiety and worry in His Word. And we have to remember when we struggle with this issue, and maybe this is a particular struggle for you in your life, let me encourage you this morning that we have to remember that God supplies us with logical and theological reasons to not be overcome with anxiety and worry. Now, for most of us, the majority of us, anxiety maybe isn't a major issue for you. Maybe it isn't a life-crippling problem for you. But if we're honest, these small moments that we do experience worry or anxiety can become problematic. As the great philosopher Charlie Brown once said, he said, I have a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. So how do we as believers deal with the anxiety 
of living in a very anxious world. Thankfully, the scripture gives us some very clear direction on this topic. It's found in Philippians 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7 today. And we began with this one phrase, and we looked backwards at this phrase last week, and we're going to look forward today, and I'm going to read a greater context just to get the flow of this thought. And actually, I'm going to read beyond today's context and read a little bit of next week's context because these are so carefully and and intricately connected. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness, your gentle character, be known to everyone. Why? Well, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is present. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. Do not have anxiety. Do not panic about anything. Nothing. But instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we will get to verses 8 and following next week, but listen to the connection that Paul gives us. Finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, just, pure, whatever is lovely and commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I always ask people whenever I'm talking with someone about anxiety or panic attacks or worry, is I ask them to keep a thought diary. And write down your thinking. And when they bring that back in a week or two, and we start going through their thinking diary, I start, and and by the way, the instruction is be painfully honest with what you're thinking about. Then I challenge them with this very simple challenge. Take your thoughts and run them through the very first phrase that Paul gives us in verse 8. Whatsoever things are true, are any of these thought processes true? 99% of the time, the answer is no. So we have this connection between rejoicing this connection of prayer, which we'll get to this morning, and this connection of thinking in a way that guards our minds. And I love this. We're getting ahead of myself a little bit here. But in verse 7, that God will guard your heart and your mind, your thinking, what dominates your mind. So let's look at verses 6 and 7 today and look at, first of all, in verse 6, a commandment. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Now, it's very tempting at times, especially maybe if, if you're not particularly one who struggles with anxiety and you don't particularly struggle with worry. It's very tempting to look at someone who does and just say, hey, stop being anxious. Just get over it. Okay, it's very tempting maybe to say that. And yes, this is a very clear commandment that God's Word gives to us. 
But we want to understand what does this commandment mean, and then why is it here? Why does God gives us why does God give us this commandment? Is it so we can use it as a weapon against people who are struggling with anxiety and depression? No. So why is it here? Well, the word, first of all, anxious, anxiety, means to be troubled with care. It means to be pulled away in so many directions, to be pulled apart. I think of it this way, coming apart at the seams. Have you ever listened to somebody who is completely overwhelmed and overtaken with anxiety and they, they kind of they topic jump? They're worried about this, they're worried about this, they're worried about that. And what if this happens? And what if aliens invade tomorrow? And what if this happens? And you're sitting there like, I'm exhausted just listening. No wonder you're tired. No wonder you're emotionally spent. Because you're being pulled apart at the scene. That's the picture of this word. You're being pulled apart at the scenes. And Paul says, do not allow yourself to be consumed with anxiety. You, you could say it this way. Do not, under any circumstances, worry about anything. Now, before we go any further, let's clarify and say this isn't saying just live your life with complete indifference to the world or complete laissez-faire perspective on, on the world. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about this sinful anxiety that can cripple us. In fact, let's understand anxiety a little bit. How do we define it? Okay, I gave you the, the Greek definition, meaning to be pulled apart, being torn into many directions. But what does the word anxiety mean? It means distress or uneasiness of the mind. Now listen to this. Caused by fear. Fear of danger or fear of misfortune. Don't miss that. Anxiety is really the outplaying of our fears. What are we afraid of? What consumes us? Anxiety and worry leave us also very spiritually vulnerable. Vulnerable to depression. Vulnerable to temptation to find our satisfaction or relief in sinful ways. Let's be honest with ourselves and say it this way, the cares of this world can very quickly overcome us and discourage us and, and leave us depressed. But anxiety and depression, while they are rarely sought out on purpose, they can cover you in darkness and despair. So where does anxiety come from? I mean, we, we know, we see from this definition that it is connected to fear. And so the first aspect of anxiety to understand is that anxiety is, in fact, a form of fear. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of getting sick or in a pandemic? You're right to take caution about that. But are you crippled by the fear of that? Or you fear of financial failure, your financial future? Are you fearful of where your life will be in a year? Or maybe if you're a parent, maybe your fear really hinges on the fact, where will my children be in a year from now? What will my kids be doing? Anxiety has a way of crippling us through our fears. Let's think about it from the perspective of a child, for instance. For some children, the fear of embarrassing themselves in front of their class overwhelms them. They're afraid of saying something foolish. They're afraid of being made fun of. They're 
perhaps being afraid of being separated from their parents. But for an adult, sometimes the fear that troubles us is losing a loved one, flying in an airplane, financial crisis, maybe being assaulted, or maybe battling a terminal illness. And the reality is we can all fixate on these scenarios and fear that one of these things may possibly happen to us. Those that give in to worry become immune to reason and immune to theological truth. Why? Because their fear is looming heavily on their minds. The second aspect of fear that I think we have to understand and, and, uh, and, and, and think through in our own lives is that anxiety focuses on the future. We may regret the past, but we don't generally worry over the past. We can't change the past. Anxiety arises in our hearts over events that may happen, might happen, possibly will happen at some time in the future. And here's what happens is that people that are consumed with an anxiety and worry, when they think about the future, it's always catastrophic. One little problem today, and they, they, delete, they take that out over a week, a month, a year, 10 years, whatever, and it always ends in catastrophic events. Now, take your worry for a moment. Some of us are old enough to have worried over maybe something for a long period of time. How often does those event, do those events play out the way you envision them? How often when we worry and get consumed over something in the future, does it ever become a reality? In fact, I love this. This also comes from Christianity Today. Actually, the title of this article is called The Gift of My Anxiety. And the purpose of this article is to say that our anxiety and our worry should really lead us, and our fear really should lead us to resting and trusting in God. Thus, the title of the article, The Gift of My Anxiety. The writer here says it this way. uh, Laura Turner is her name. She defines anxiety this way. A persistent, irrational fear about the future. That's anxiety. Persistent and irrational fear about the future. Those who are consumed with worry see the future in gory details. And they create the catastrophic end result in their minds. And they live as if that is a reality. Here's the third, here's the third issue with anxiety. is Anxiety involves circumstances that are, are you ready for this? Beyond your control. So much of what we worry about are over matters you can't dictate. With all due respect to you, you are not God. There is a Messiah and you are not Him. There is a God in heaven and it's not you. So much of what we worry about and much of what we fixate on and we become consumed with are over matters that are out of our control. We are far less anxious about matters that we can fix, aren't we? Things that we do believe we can control. Our pastor in Pennsylvania used to always say that 
that control is always an illusion. It's like a flea sitting on the back of an elephant saying, I got this. It's an illusion. You don't have it. You're not in control. There are issues of life that will not fall under your jurisdiction. When life circumstances are beyond our ability to control things, we become anxious. And we can't control our circumstances and we can't control other people. Always think about it this way. People that are consumed with worry and anxiety, they are horrible prophets. Because what they predict, 95, I don't have a statistic, I probably shouldn't say one. Normally, do not become reality. So this is an unreasonable anxiousness, an unreasonable worry about the things of the future. And so often it leaves us suffocating today and losing our joy today because we are worried about things tomorrow that we cannot control. In fact, I did a a little looking at our English word anxiety. It comes from a German word, which I will probably butcher, but it is the word vergen, as I understand it. It means to choke or to strangle. Worry strangles your faith, doesn't it? Worry chokes the joy right out of your life. Worry torments your soul. It leaves you inactive. It mentally leaves you strangled and miserable. And yet God's Word tells us as believers that we are not to be allowing ourselves to be choked, to be strangled, to have the joy ripped from our souls over worry and anxiety. In fact, it is important to note once again that in back in verse 4 when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. If I am rejoicing, I can't what? I can't worry. If I am rejoicing in the Lord, again, noting not rejoicing always in my circumstances, but I am rejoicing in the Lord, I cannot have an anxious heart at the same time. So we have this connection between worry and replacing it with rejoicing and we cannot allow ourselves to be pulled apart because it truly is and here's the point worry and anxiety are you ready is indicative of a heart that does not trust God at the end of the day the reason we worry and the reason we get consumed with anxiety is because we do not trust God Ultimately, it is a theological problem. I know it it feels horrible and it's overwhelming and it leads people down some very dark roads and I am not dismissing any of that or oversimplifying that. But the reality is that when we lose sight of who God is and we lose our trust in God, that we are prone to living a life of anxiety. It, It troubles me, frankly, if I could be blunt this morning. It troubles me when a believer in Christ is defeated with anxiety and worry. Because it is a practical atheism that says God is not real. And it speaks volumes to people around us. 
Again, it, it doesn't mean that we're indifferent to life's trials and troubles. It doesn't mean that we don't take them seriously. It doesn't mean that we are reckless. It doesn't mean that we don't have a healthy level of concern. But it does mean that we are not consumed with worry. So, okay, we look back and we say to ourselves, all right, we have this commandment, be anxious about absolutely nothing. We look back and we say rejoicing and anxiety cannot exist in the same heart. Well, we look forward to what Paul says after this commandment that we are not to give in to anxiety. And we look at the next sort of replacement aspect for this. He says, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, if you are, right, if you have a Bible in your lap or on your phone or whatever that you write in or highlight, notice this contrast. Be anxious about nothing. But be prayerful about what? Everything. Everything. Replacing my anxiety with prayerfulness. The negative, stop worrying, is replaced with the positive, start praying. It's been said this way, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. One study, by the way, I always love these studies, I like to read these. One study suggested that only 8% of what we worry about are legitimate matters of concern. The other 92% were either imaginary, never became reality, or involved matters out of our control. So if this statistic is correct, I would, I would pragmatically argue that I think 8% is probably too high. But let's say for sake of argument this study is correct, that only 8% of what we worry about is of a legitimate concern. Regardless of whether that number is correct, we would have to walk away and say we waste a lot of time and energy and lose a lot of joy over worry. Maybe you heard this story. The story is told of a lady who was having a very difficult time sleeping at night. And her husband asked her, what is it that is keeping you awake at night? And she said, well, I'm so fearful that a burglar is going to break into our house. One night, her husband heard a noise downstairs. And so he went down to investigate what the noise was. And when he got there, he found a burglar in their kitchen. He said to the man, good evening. I'm pleased to see you. I would like you to come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting 10 years to meet you. In Matthew 6, 27, Jesus said it this way. Actually, put it in the form of a question. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Which one of you, being anxious, can change matters that are out of your control? We almost should take the phrase, what if, and just erase it from our minds. What if this happens? What if it happens? I'm a take-it-as-it-comes kind of guy. I've I've led some missions trips through the years, and, and my wife is the absolute detail person in our family. I don't see details. Don't think about details. Don't worry so much about details. I see big, big pictures. And so we would take a trip and my wife would ask, 
ridiculous questions like, where are we going to stay? I don't know. What are we going to eat? I don't know. We'll figure it out. I don't worry about such, maybe I should, but I don't. I figure it'll work out. God will work it out. Now that may be a little neglectful, that may be a little reckless, but the point here is still valid, is what does being anxious about something change? How does it change our life? Anxiety doesn't get you anywhere. It does you no good. In fact, whatever problem is currently causing you to feel anxious, you can be sure that your anxiety will not lessen the problem. It will not fix the problem. It will certainly make you miserable in the process. One person said it this way. They said, well, maybe all of my worry was successful. The things I worried about never happened. I like Corey Ten Boom's perspective better. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. You see, right thinking thinks on the truths of Scripture and doesn't get bogged down with anxiety and worry. Okay, so, all right, Paul, we've looked back. We're supposed to rejoice rather than being anxious. We can't rejoice and be anxious at the same time. Now we look forward and we say, okay, not only am I not to be anxious and instead be rejoicing, I'm not to be anxious and instead I am to be a person of prayer. Now, this tells me by this call to prayer, rather than worrying about anything, be prayerful about everything, is that this is some level of legitimate concern here. And so he uses three words, nonetheless, to describe how we are supposed to bring these matters before the Lord. The first word is prosuke, which is a very basic kind of Greek word that simply means talk to God. Speak to him. Bring your request to God. The basic idea of this word is intercession. The second word, dehesis, is a need. It means poverty, a want, to seek for something, to ask. The second word has a, a sense of urgency to it. Okay, prayer, the second word is supplication. It is this word that there is a sense of urgency. This is a great need. It is an urgent matter. If you skip Thanksgiving for just a moment, he also uses the word etima, which means a request, the communication of something to the Lord. So Paul uses these three words to describe how we come to God. Some of it is just conversation. Lord, this is really on my heart today. This is really troubling me today. This is a concern for me today. Sometimes there is a sense of urgency from our poverty, our spiritual poverty, our financial poverty, bringing some level of need for the Lord and bringing it to Him and our sense of urgency. But notice that the one word that envelops or envelopes all these other words is the word thanksgiving. He says that I am to come and to make the requests and the prayers and the supplication with thanksgiving. We're coming into the thanksgiving season, aren't we? And he talks about this issue of gratitude. I was reading through, I'd spend very little time on any social media platform, but Facebook in particular, I, I don't spend a lot of time there. But my wife texted me this week and she said, hey, um, again, I'm also terrible with dates. 
she says, um, your brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, put a very sweet, actually my niece, put a very sweet um, memorial statement about my sister. She died just a year ago. It's on Facebook. So I went on to look at that and to read what my niece had written about my sister. And as I was doing that, Michelle texted me. She said, oh, and she said, did you realize there's a friend of ours lives in another state. He's had some medical issues. And she said, did you see the update on him? And I said, no, I didn't see that. And so I paged down and I saw the post that the family had put on Facebook regarding our friend's very dire situation. There was an update about his physical condition. And then you know what followed? A long list, probably 10 or 15 reasons that they were praising God. And I thought to myself, now there is a beautiful illustration of Philippians 4. This man, to be blunt, is, 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 is he can't communicate. He's, he's probably dying. And yet in the midst of this, this family had reason to thank and to praise God. And reading through the list, there was little things. Just things that we would probably take for granted in our day-to-day hustle and bustle of living life. Just little things like he got to see his grandchildren one more time. Just little things that this family was praising God and thanking the Lord over. And Paul here connects this idea of prayer with this idea of thankfulness, gratitude. We have much to be thankful for. The most powerful weapon against fear and any form of anxiety truly is heart filled with gratitude. In his book, Praying, Packer writes this. He said, we could describe prayer as the time in which we offer up our desires unto the Lord. We pray for matters to be within his divine will, and we make our requests in the name of Jesus. It is a time to confess our sins and praise him for his mercy. So in an effect, these three synonyms are giving us the idea of petitioning the Lord for prayer, that prayers lead us to the opposite of anxiety. Notice what comes out of this attitude of prayer, this attitude of thankfulness. Paul says that as we come before the Lord, we bring our request before God, verse 7, and the peace of God. Isn't that what our anxious souls really want? Peace. Rest. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I love the end of verse 7. Will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. The prayer here is leading us to this place of protection. This guardianship of of God's grace and God's mercy. By the way, the word guard here comes from the the word that was used to talk about protection by a military guard. That our minds and our hearts can be fortified and protected from worry and anxiety as we are rejoicing, as we are praying, as we are given to thanksgiving, and we will experience the peace of God. And it surpasses all understanding, all human reasonableness when we see the peace 
that God brings. In fact, Psalm 56, the psalmist said, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 62, verse 8, trust in him at all times. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O hear my voice. Let you be attentive to my voice and my pleas for mercy. Jesus said it this way, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, it's not just enough to distract ourselves, to try to forget our troubles, or to drown our troubles in the entertainment culture of our time. Instead, we need to purposefully, purposefully, go to the Lord and let our requests be made to Him. Fighting anxiety and coming into the respites of this emotional peace doesn't mean that all of our questions are answered. It doesn't mean that all of our problems are solved. But through God's power, we can have peace. Peace that transcends all human understanding. It doesn't make sense on earthly terms. But we can experience the peace of God. Theologian R.C. Sproul once said this. He said, God doesn't roll dice. Scripture makes it clear that nothing happens in this world by chance or by luck. Psalm 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So in closing this morning, where do you turn in your times of anxiety? Where do you turn in your moments of anxiousness? Paul says that we go to the Lord in prayer. Prayer isn't the characteristic of a weak man. It is the characteristic of a man who is dependent on the Lord. I always think about it this way. If God is powerful enough to create life, He is powerful enough to take care of you. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all of your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. In these moments of panic, in these moments of worry, these moments of anxiety, maybe that should be a stimulus to drive us to the throne of God. By all things, bringing our prayers, our requests, our urgent needs before God and resting and trusting in Him. As I mentioned, worry is actually practical atheism. It's announcing to the world that you don't really believe God is good. It means that we really don't believe that God is in control. The reality is that Scripture repeatedly tells us to not be afraid. It tells us to not be anxious. Now, this commandment, especially in Philippians 4, it shouldn't feel like a harsh commandment to the anxious person. Please don't take it that way. It's not a harsh commandment as much as it is words of deep comfort and confidence. One writer said it this way. He said, if anything, it should help us realize that God knew we'd face fear and anxiety. And he wants to surround and love us in those worries. He promises to never leave us alone in our anxiety. And that is really good news. So the answer to your worry and anxiety, I don't want to oversimplify 
struggles that people have or to throw flippant answers your way. But from this text, we see that there is hope in the midst of your worry. There is hope in the midst of your anxiety, and it is found when we follow God's commandments to rejoice, to choose to put away our worry and anxiety, we choose to pray, and we choose to be thankful, and then and only then we can experience the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. The answer to your anxiety is to trust that Almighty God is ruling the world exactly as He intends. And He is doing it for His amazing glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for these couple of very simple verses. And we know that in our, in our world today, right now, as we are here in this place, there are lots of reasons to to be anxious. In fact, I, I read one article this week about how our, our media and others fan the flame of our anxiety. They fan the flame of our fear. Lord, may we never give in to the temptation to be consumed with fear, consumed with anxiety, but instead to be driven to the cross of Calvary, to be driven before your throne of grace, rejoicing, praying, thanking you for your mercy and for your wonder, and thanking you, Lord, that you truly are working together all things for our good. I pray that we would apply these verses to us, to our own individual circumstances, and for some, this is a very real struggle, and we pray that your Holy Spirit and your grace would be upon those this morning that are maybe here in our, in our auditorium or maybe watching at home today that are severely struggling with worrying, worry and anxiety. God, may your grace be upon them. And Lord, we pray that we would be people that are living a life of trust, trusting in you and following you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We thank you for worshiping with us this morning, and we hope to see you soon and have a wonderful day.